This is the Great IO Get Together, originally recorded on YouTube Live. Although you can listen to the show as a podcast, you only get the full experience by visiting thegig.online/youtube. It's time for your viewing pleasure, the online show that will change how you think about online shows. Welcome to the Great I.O. Get-Together! On tonight's show, fun and excitement like you won't believe. The thrills, the chills. Now join me in welcoming your hosts and mine, Richard and Tara! Uh, thank you so much, Pete. Welcome, everyone, to a Great IO Get Together number two, a cult of personality. How HBO failed us. My name is Richard. This is my co-host, Tara. Tara, how are you doing? Not too bad. I um, I learned a new word today. You oh. ready? Mm-hmm. Trifurcate. Oh, that's. Do you want to guess what it means? It's one more than bifurcate. So I'd assume. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. It just never occurred to me that you could trifurcate something. Can you can you quadfurcate? I think so. Quin Quin. I don't know. Hex hex. I don't know. That's yeah, okay. Don't know. <laughs> anyway, I'm my goal is to use it in every sentence I can find. So nice. if you can help me out with that. That would be great. I see. I don't know if there will be any uh, trifurcation opportunity today. We have kind of a weird show. Uh, unlike our last time, uh, this this week we will be uh, watching live uh, the docudrama. I'm calling it a docudrama. I don't know if they call it a docudrama, but I'm calling it one. The docudrama Persona, uh, which is a HBO docu thing uh, about personality testing. It's gotten a lot of really negative reactions from the IO community. So we thought it would be a good idea to uh, to watch it all together. Uh, it's uh, going to be a little bit different structurally, though. If you're watching on YouTube Live right now, uh, we're going to actually have to dip into the Discord because, as it turns out, YouTube, Google, not super happy about live broadcasting entire TV shows. So That's a shock. Isn't it? So we're going to have to swap over to Discord in just a second, uh, which is, uh, you know, which is just fine. Uh, the link, if you're not on the Discord already, is now visible, almost overlapping Tara's head. Uh, so sorry for that. Uh, if you have not joined the Discord yet, please do so now. Uh, this this particular stream will actually stay open uh, because after the screening is over, we're going to come back here. We're going to record about uh, 30 minutes worth of uh, discussion based on whatever we talk about in the Discord, as well as uh, kind of our own ideas based on uh, you know what happens in in the in the show. Uh, it looks it looks interesting. In setting this up, I've, I've watched the first like two, three minutes, and I will say, never has there been a more exciting Likert type scale. Never. <laughs> so we're gonna do that. If you if you're uh, if you want to join us, come over into the Discord, and what you're gonna want to do is click in the voice channels on the watch party group. That's where it will be broadcast. And in, as soon as we get started, you will see a little live button appear next to my name. Uh, and you'll be able to watch the live broadcast uh, in Discord with me. I'm also going to be uh, turning on my webcam so that you can get some live reaction shots. Again, I've only seen two minutes. This will be a pretty fresh viewing. 
Uh, Tara, I don't think you've seen any of it, have you? Not at all, and I'm going to keep an open mind, so no skepticism here. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I mean, I, it, is, it, is, it is the most excited discussion of personality testing that I have ever witnessed, even in that first two minutes. I think it's going to be great. Uh, so yeah, if, you, uh, if you're not in Discord already, follow the link that, that way. Follow the link uh, and uh, uh, join the community. Join the watch party group. Uh, and also join the on-air text channel, because otherwise you won't be able to speak. Uh, the voice channel is only for talking. So join in the on-air channel to chat with everybody and watch the watch party once we get going. So I will click over now. See you there. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining the uh, post-game discussion. Just had a rousing uh, hour and a half of persona in the discord uh, lots of folks chatting about that so we we've got uh, about half an hour we want to spend just uh, kind of uh, debriefing is this a debriefing i guess it's a debriefing analysis analysis yes armchair analysis <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it, it was a very interesting it was very interesting as a documentary it really falls in that clear category of like sensationalistic clearly agenda-driven kind of thing, which isn't necessarily bad. Um, but in doing so, uh, it mixes some, uh, you know, mixes some good points with a lot of not very clear points. Maybe, so maybe we, maybe we start on the, on the good. Like what? Yeah, what... well, you're right. They, all documentaries have a point of view. And this one in particular is based on a book. So it, it's not even that the filmmakers came into it with a particular mm -hmm. agenda so much as, uh, they saw a story that could be told. And so I think we want to come at it from that perspective. But you're like you said, they got a lot of things right. One thing that's maybe a difficult pill to swallow for IO psychologists is that a lot of what we do is grounded in a capitalistic and individualistic way of seeing the world. Mm -hmm. um, and And they're right about that, right? That we are trying to differentiate between people. Um, I, I think that the idea that we could potentially select for teams is totally fascinating. And I know that you said, well, isn't that a Marxist utopia? It doesn't need to go quite that far. <laughs> it doesn't have to be full on communism to think about how you might select teams of people that have complementary strengths. Mm. Um, and so that's a fun thing to think about and maybe, a, you know, a useful response to people who are so upset about this idea of an upper class and an underclass. Yeah. You know, uh... <sighs> Man, the the conversation I would want to have about that is is societally where is the correct balance point in a sense like this 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 kind of view that like I, I mean that's the reason that I, I describe it that way because the way that they present it makes it sound as if they're like the only option here is to eliminate the value of individuals, which is not not a realistic response, uh, and I I think it is more. I think it is correct to say it in this this sort of uh, blended view that there there are surely healthier balance points perhaps than the one we have now, uh, and figuring out what those balance points exactly are, I think is a very it's a very interesting question that that was raised here. Yeah, I would love to find a way to work together with people who have legitimate concerns about fairness and justice. Mm. And um, for whatever reason, see IO psychologists as the enemy in the pursuit of justice, because any IO psychologist that I talk to would certainly not describe themselves that way, right? I mean, 
we know that personality tests actually solve some of the very problems that the interview subjects were complaining about. So I just want to know how we have a productive conversation. And I agree with you totally that there is a middle ground. There's a compromise. Like reasonableness can win the day here. Uh, and so how do we do that? I don't know. <laughs> what? That's you don't know? Nice to, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's a wonderful question to lob at me uh, right now. Uh, <laughs> so, what no. do we do, Richard? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, so the, the conflating of, of all these different ideas is is a really important dimension of this problem. That, that when we're talking about, like, there, there's an awful lot assumed that the solution to some of these problems is in fact to approach is to take more classic approaches that are that this are you know the science is very much our science is very much about directly addressing like the assumption that the most fair way to assess somebody is an interview i don't know where it comes from it's just this weird cultural value that seems almost worldwide um, actually, I don't. I, I seem to remember reading a study on that at some point. Uh, I think there are, there are a few cultures where interviews are not the, the the normal way of doing things. It's definitely true in the U.S., though. Like if you don't do a, an interview, it seems strange. Like it seems like you're doing something wrong. So that this, so that something like an unstructured interview, which has such enormous potential for bias and uh, just poor decision making in general. Um, I mean, not only from a fairness perspective, but just bad for the company uh, to go to 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 assume that that kind of thing is preferable to personality testing. Like, as you said, like that, that's the reason we have tests like that. We have tried to develop ways to be more fair and more equitable. And they're not certainly not perfect. They can certainly be misused. You can certainly um, uh, create tests that are horrible <laughs> but that's that's the reason the science exists that's why we have recommendations you know that's what the degree is for that's the whole point <laughs> but i just don't think i mean you don't get anywhere by saying like we have the science you're a fool right and and yeah. meeting people where they are is the way to change hearts and minds if you will so i think your point about an interview is a great one like who does better in interviews well extroverts Right. People who are low neuroticism, they're not stressed out by the interview context. And so if you frame it in that way, we say, well, actually, the interview is is amplifying some of the things that you're most concerned about. And we all share the concern that you shouldn't be able to smooth talk your way through the selection system. Right. So turns out the interview could potentially be introducing the very things you care about. I don't know if that would work. I mean, I think that's a, a good place to start, maybe. Well, so who are we convincing? Because we, we got that, uh, I mean, legitimately depressing story uh, that ended with a, a walk into, I think, a Kentucky Congress or, or some some legislature somewhere telling sob stories uh, and legitimately horrible stories. But like, is that who we're convincing? Are we going to congressional bodies and being like, look how terrible things will be if you don't listen to us? Or is there some other strategy? I mean, historic yeah, question. Yeah, his historically, well, PSYOP has not been great at this. Uh, <laughs> oh, but on the other hand, I mean, PSYOP is recently um, yes. put a lot of energy into advocacy, yeah, and I yeah. think they're making some real headway. Um, but that's one level of approach. I mean, also individual people who you meet are are targets for persuasion mm. or uh, conversation, mm -hmm. and sometimes those are the most productive conversations, right? You're not trying to change the world; you're trying to change one person's mind, um, and. I also think that we're we're speaking to other IO psychologists who might hear this kind of message and think like, oh no, 
am I a corporate toady? Like, this mm. is terrible news. Like, mm-hmm. if I if I want to be on the side of truth and justice, I need to leave the field of IO. Like, we don't want people mm. to think that. And so part of the message is talking about what we really do as IO psychologists um, to, our, to our own community. So it's a really interesting idea. Is there an opportunity to... I don't. I don't want to say grow to, to increase the uh, breadth of interest and maybe the diversity of the field in general as a result of perhaps widening, you know, the message that we we throw out there. I mean, IO doesn't have a strong brand really, except right. in the communities that already know they need IO. They're like, oh yeah, those are the people that know what they're talking about. But anybody else has no clue. And when you think, I think of often uh, like what what is an undergraduate's exposure to IO psychology. And I would imagine that if they're exposed at all in most undergraduate classrooms, it's like, oh, there's the corporate side of psych. Uh, And that's not a great image. (laughs) So is, I mean, is there opportunity in this? I mean, in some ways, this is almost a resurgence of personality psych, uh, or not personality psych, personnel psych on the I side. Uh, Is there an opportunity there to to increase the the kind of perspectives that we're bringing in and maybe even make the field more attractive to the, the very people we're talking about that would be interested in this kind of thing? Sure. I think a lot of IO psychology researchers tend to be a bit inwardly focused. Hmm. Um, You know, they're speaking to other IO psychologists. Uh, There's no rule against collaborating with sociologists. Um, The people who were being interviewed in that documentary, there were there was a law scholar, sociologist, a data scientist. uh, Right. Why don't we work harder on speaking to those audiences and collaborating Hmm with people who who do have a legitimate claim to knowledge. Like that documentary is a little bit unfortunate in that it was incredibly um, opinion driven, but it's not to say that that people in those fields don't have something really valuable to contribute to this problem that we're all interested in, right? Which is fairness and justice. So mm-hmm. um, I think we can, I mean, I don't wanna say we like the royal we, but you know, you do see a little bit of arrogance, like, well, come on, we know everything about testing and personality and no one else no one else may claim knowledge about that field, that's not really very productive. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of interdisciplinarity, as you, as you may know. Uh, <laughs> really? The, <laughs> the you know, it, it's, it's an interesting problem because the, the major way that you, that, that the, the, the primary avenue that you get at changing people's opinions is when they think that they have something essentially to gain by interacting with you. So I, I come at this by saying, well, IO can can grow. We can be better by integrating some of these perspectives um, and bringing in, you know, trying to trying to come up with the best thing altogether. And rather than just saying, well, here we're the good, we have the good testing part. We're gonna bring our testing to you. I would, you know, obviously say that trying to redevelop what we understand along with other fields simultaneously is what will get us to the right point. Do those other fields have similar kind of motivation though? Like, do you know, I, I often think, especially in the data science machine learning community, like, is there, if if they knew about IO, would we be attractive collaborators? Would they want to grow with us? Or are we more of a hindrance? Or would we seem like more of a hindrance to the kind of things they're trying to accomplish? Now, do you think we're, do you mean a hindrance because we're always insisting on, you know, more psychometric rigor and following laws and whatnot? Or a hindrance because we have a narrow way of looking at the world? Uh, maybe both. Uh, I know the IOs are, are prof- professional, you know, personnel buzzkills in a lot of ways. And that's, that's okay. Um, I, I guess I'm more, man, there's, there's a lot of dimensions to that. So there's the legal side one. And I don't think 
I, I think that there they, there is currently a a research literature in AI machine learning on how to do personnel selection legally using algorithms like that that's a thing it it sort of kind of cites what we do not real extensively um and i i just wonder would they see our contribution to the conversation about legal just focusing there for a second as even helpful because their view is very much well the rules are the rules let's figure out how we can kind of get around them in a way that's legal because that will get us the best prediction out of our models like what do we add mm -hmm. to that if that's the goal yeah, well, I suppose the, the the ambition that we should have is to not be so so useless. I know that sounds like a cheap answer, right? But um, if if we really are just these people that say, well, construct validity, construct validity, construct validity, then sure, that's that's not very um, intellectually interesting for people to collaborate with. Um, but I, I also want to point out this is not a problem that's unique to selection. Like um, mm. job search as a phenomenon, for example, is something that lots of people are interested in. Economists care about job search. Sociologists care about job search. Um, computer scientists care a lot about job search in the context of matching people with opportunities. So um, my point here is that looking at selection only is not as productive as considering, I guess, like recruitment and selection together or um, workforce development and selection together. Maybe that's the other the other way to go. Like, I think most of the people I know that do selection just do selection, yeah. right? But the way to solve the problem is not usually with a better test. The way to solve the problem is by expanding and supporting the pool of potential workers, right? So instead of saying like, you have a good personality, you, you don't, asking, as a society, how do we build up everybody's capabilities um, so that they can all compete for jobs that they want to do? Mm. It's you know it's even broader. I mean it, it's it's even broader than that. It's I, I like the framing of org development because this this potentially is now coming up in almost every dimension of uh, these kind of more data science selection matching kind of methods come up in uh, like ad hoc team formation. There's there's now. Uh, software that you can use to say who are all the right experts from this organization to join in this high profile project like it's right. this, this idea of selection is much broader than hiring now uh the idea of just using tests and using assessment however you define it in order to figure out where people go in organizations and what they're doing and what they're doing while they're there like that that is becoming a really like that's becoming a big area uh we and and trying to contribute to that that broader conversation yeah maybe 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 <laughs> so do you think that the selection haters would be comfortable with what you're describing where it's really about placement and not selection, not you have a job and you don't, but you're best suited for this particular task within an organization? Because there are organizations that do that, right? They focus more on placement than selection. Uh, so um, this... would that documentary have the same tone if it was really about like who got to work in the most interesting department of the grocery store. So this is, I mean, that's where we get into our Marxist utopia, only if rewards are equal in all paths. So if, if there are differential rewards for different types of jobs, then suddenly you've undercut your whole equality message. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Any, any tie to, uh, 
attempt either actually measured merit or attempts to measure merit or attempts to measure potential all of those mean that you are trying to sort people into better and worse situations like if it didn't matter where people were then you could just it could be a random number generator there would be no reason to do anything like that or if it was need-based which is one of the suggestions in the documentary you could just identify well where are the greatest rewards who's the people that need those rewards the most for whatever reason on whatever criteria and just put them there like there would be no need for any of this so uh, it, it, it's all tied up in the idea that we for better or worse, socially in society, need to sort between people's potential or capabilities or or something. Uh, I I don't I don't think that that framing it purely to to placement alone would would solve the underlying problem. No, I guess I agree with you. But what you just said gave me another idea for how we can collaborate with people who are interested in justice, which is mm. um, talking about our very well-developed justice literature, right? And what you just said is mm. that fairness doesn't mean that you get whatever you want, right? There are different rules for fairness. Equality is one rule. Everyone gets the same. Need is another rule. You give to who needs it the most. Um, and equity is the rule that we tend to emphasize in, you know, in our capitalistic society. People with the most merit get the most rewards. Mm. Uh, and a lot of what I hear in that documentary is people rejecting the idea of an equity-based system at all. But it doesn't mean that their definition of fairness wins the day. It means that this is a word that has multiple meanings. Uh, and there's an opportunity to communicate, right? Because we can sort of get away from these fuzzy words that are getting people into so much trouble and there's so much mm. emotion. I think the thing that struck me about this the most, this documentary, is there's so much emotion that people have built up about this sense of unfairness. And we know that, you know, a sense of lack of justice is an incredibly powerful emotion. And if we can get the emotion out of the discussion, we could just move forward more productively. Mm. Well, we have a, a question in the chat. Uh, any thoughts on the job seeker trainer that advised them to take personality assessments as if they were asked the question in an interview thoughts yeah I, that's actually pretty good advice and that's what you know <laughs> i mean why not um it is something that people are probably doing intuitively anyway um i didn't hear anything in that the coach said like you should lie right it, it was really put your best foot forward um and as far as flagging the social desirability item, that's a really interesting one. Um, <laughs> because he didn't come right out and say, you know, uh, don't say yes to this item. He just said it might be a trick question. Uh, so so I'm not really sure what to think about that. But I just at first blush, I don't have a, a serious problem with it. I think that's the kind of thing that... Um, you know, if we care about like classist issues, for example, um, that's the kind of thing where, you know, if your parents are well educated and you're a middle class kid, like you have that information already just by virtue of living your life. And so evening the playing field by giving that information to everyone is actually a good thing. Mm. Yeah, it's, you know, I try to, to uh, think about how that advice works also with that item. Because you wouldn't, if somebody said, like, have you ever, have you told a lie in the last five years in an interview? I think it'd be pretty difficult for most people to just lie to the face of an interviewer and say, no, I have not told any lies in five years. Yeah. <laughs> so, so to, Didn't you write a paper about this? Uh, about lying? About faking? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, somebody did. I thought it was you. <laughs> 
I mean, faking is a thing. I'm pretty sure. About coaching. About no, no, no. About oh. coaching specifically. Coaching. Uh, I, I hope not because I don't remember. <laughs> I did. Uh, I don't know. I don't, th- I don't think I did. It's very possible. Let me see if I can find it. Just continue on with the conversation. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, yeah, for, for viewers, this is a very real risk when you have too many papers to distinguish between the ones you've already written. And that's not a very high number, by the way. That started happening to me at, like, eight. I'm like, I think I wrote about that. I'm not sure. So, <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, so earlier we, we were talking about the concept of um, uh, conflating. So one of the things that that I think we run into a lot of, we will run into and have already run into a lot of difficulties with is that many of these concepts are very fuzzy. And part of the reason that persona can get away with conflating the Myers-Briggs and personality testing in general and the big five and everything else together is because the average person doesn't really know the difference between those things. Where, whereas we as experts have a lot easier time saying, oh, well, the, here's a well-defined line between this test and this general category of things. We come in with the benefit of a lot of training about exactly that problem. And you even saw it extended in this further. I mean, it covered AI and algorithms and facial recognition and all of that was sort of mushed together with personality testing. And I mean, all of that was for the broader goal of scaring people. This is very much a documentary about scaring people. Um, But uh, it's, it's also a very real problem. So anytime that we try to get in these policy discussions or we try to have those conversations with random people, like they're not going to differentiate between those things any more than the documentary really did. Is I mean, is there any is there any good solution to that? Like, I I, I don't want to still be the professional buzzkill of like, let me educate you about personality testing. Like, that's not the right the right approach. What what is though? No, and I don't think we even could if we wanted to because we're not mm. credible as um, impartial in this conversation. I think mm. it sort of comes across. My suspicion is that it comes across like a vacuum cleaner salesman who shows up and says like oh, you don't want that Hoover vacuum cleaner. You want the fancy, expensive vacuum cleaner. It's like a totally different class of object. And the average person is going to say, I don't care enough about vacuum cleaners to engage with you on this level of like why one's better than the other. Mm -hmm. Of course, that would be a mistake because vacuum cleaners obviously do differ in quality. And I have my beloved vacuum cleaner. Anyway, the point is that it's not about like lack of education it's a it's a lack of motivation to engage at that level Mm. um because it doesn't matter to them as much as it matters to us Mm. Um, so you know getting over ourselves in that way might be a good place to start like we're we come across as trying to sell a personality test even though the big five is not something we're trying to necessarily sell to anybody yeah and you know i will i will go on the record by the way saying Meal is the best vacuum cleaner brand. Obviously. Obviously. This is not a matter of opinion. (laughs) There's no secret payroll here. We're not on the budget of big meal, the payroll. I'm just, it's very clearly superior and you should use it. I'm just saying, yeah, I'm saying. And and I know they might criticize me for, you know, judging the personality of vacuum cleaners and differentiating individual differences. And that might be (laughs) playing into a non-equal society, but I'm, I'm going on the record. It's definitely meal. And isn't that a German company? Just yes, saying. It is. <laughs> I think. Oh no. If it's if it's if it's like Austrian, I'm gonna feel I don't know what it actually don't know what where it's from. Somewhere in I Europe. I knew that. It is a time European. machine though. I'm a big fan. <laughs> anyway. Uh yeah, so that was uh, I I already forgot what we were talking about. So uh I think some documentary that we just watched. Yeah, something like that. I mean ad- adequately 
I, I, I still, I'm, I'm still dissatisfied with the solution here. Like I, this is gonna get worse. Like this is, this is like an, I describe this as an opening salvo. Like this is the, the first that we're going to see in a broad range of attacks on testing and maybe even onto like, I don't know. I, I feel like science in the workplace itself may not be a very positive thing coming moving forward. Like right now, we already have, at least in the United States, a pretty generic anti-science sentiment kind of below the surface. This may be making it much more explicit, especially as AI purveyors increasingly do do things that are pretty scary and may in fact be really quite unfair and problematic and that we're going to get swept right up in all of that because people are just not going to care about the differences. Yeah, and it's so interesting that the people um, that we heard from, I would not call them representative of the kind of person I usually think of as anti-science, mm-hmm. right? So there's this other, there's like this other anti-scientific movement that doesn't go along with like the climate change deniers that I usually think about when I think of anti-science. Um, and so, so this isn't really a political um, issue. It's, it's something much more um, kind of social and, and human, but... Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you that anti-testing and sort of anti-mechanical decision-making, right, even though they wouldn't call it that, anti, anti-algorithm of any sort, um, that, that nobody ever really liked algorithms, but now that they're mysterious and non-transparent and part of AI, they really, really don't like algorithms. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, well, you know, there's a, a broader, I was just uh, actually writing a paper on this, the idea that a common strategy uh, when talking about AI is personification that, uh, or, or almost humanization to pretend that an AI is somehow a conscious thinking thing. It makes it easier to vilify when you're saying AIs are making decisions. When you're yeah. saying that algorithms are choosing whether you get a job, it becomes a lot easier to say, aha, they are evil, because it's much easier to say a, a an entity that can make decisions and think and feel is evil than it is to say, oh, well, this model that someone made is evil. And that, that kind of rhetoric is becoming just everywhere. I mean, even, even in the AI papers, they talk about it that way now, where you have computer scientists who definitely know better saying the AI decided to take advantage of this information. Like, no, that is not what it did. <laughs> well, sure. But I mean, anthropomorphizing things is not a new concept. Like we're very, we've always yeah. done that. I mean, we've assigned, um, you know, Clippy a personality 20 years ago. He's not a very sophisticated AI. I just gendered him. I just said he, but you aren't going to question me on that. He's clearly a he. Right. I mean, this is not um, kind of a new problem. It's yeah. just that uh, I think a broader range of people are talking about it and thinking about it. And it's like you said, it's reached these these policy discussions. And that's where it becomes really serious because you start making laws based on people's emotions. And that's not a great idea. Hmm. It, you know, Clippy is, is a different context, though, because you, you have an avatar and it's been engineered to have a personality. AIs are not engineered to have personalities. Like Clippy is supposed to seem friendly and helpful. They didn't necessarily succeed at that, but it was at least something they were going for. But nobody set out to say, oh, my, you know, my random forest model that predicts whether you get a job is is approachable. Like that's not transparency is kind of a weird dimension of that, but that's not a goal in the actual creation of the technologies. I don't know. But don't you think individual users are perfectly happy to sort of give them personalities and, and sort of form bonds with them and trust them or not trust them and say like, oh, she's cranky today, something like that? With, I mean, without, uh, I don't know. So I think an interesting context for that would be Uber drivers and managed work. 
do, I mean, do, do crowdsourced, I forget, what is the, even the word? Ride sharing, there we go. Ride sharing <laughs> independent contractors. Do they attribute personality to the algorithm? Like, it, oh, it's kind of, it's cranky some days. I, I, I don't know. I'm, they might say that it's unfair, though, and mean like yeah. a sort of intentionality behind the unfairness as opposed to just the outcome. Oh. So, right, they can say like, oh, this mm. thing is, is against me. It's punishing me because I did a thing. Like, I mean, I think it could make all kinds of yeah. very human attributions about it. Maybe not personality specifically, but certainly um, like motivation. It's, it's still oh, motivation is interesting. It's almost a um like a procedural justice kind of dimension, like trying to figure out what is the reasoning, even though there's not really reasoning, trying to, to think through what that reasoning was and then attribute blame and fault associated yeah. with it. Yeah. Hmm. We have more comments. One, there's a vacuum cleaner museum in St. James, Missouri. And we what? can go. Yeah, I guess that's <laughs> road trip gig number 45. That Pizza. seems like not that far from us, actually. <laughs> uh... uh <laughs> Suggestion we should uh, start marketing our assessments as not featured in Persona. Not a bad idea. Uh, a question, do we have evidence that non-IOs even watched or cared about this documentary? That is a great question. I think it's concerning. I that too. I think it's concerning, but also some of the inciting incidents are not necessarily current. Parentheses 2014. What was, tw what was 2014? I think the book was written in 2014. Ah, okay. um, so... It's a good question. I don't know how many people watched that documentary. And I also don't super care because the the people who were interviewed do have public platforms. Yeah. Um, so whether they're connected to this particular documentary or not, like these are arguments that have made it into the mainstream public consciousness. And they are things that people think who have a lot of influence. So we should care about that, if nothing else. Mm. Yeah, I, I know that there was in general uh, a huge I.O., outcry at this and i've seen it pop up on like and every random io that i follows not everyone but a lot of them uh linkedin and twitter and some facebook posts and you know it, it's been everywhere but we definitely care about this a lot more than others do well sure i mean it's a direct attack on what we value is it um, is I think it, um, so. It's, I mean, I it's, a, so. it's a direct attack on, on the MBTI, and it becomes this sort of weird glancing blow on everything else. Uh, I mean, Kathy O'Neill crying about how this personality test ruined someone's life mm, had nothing to do with the MBTI and all about just true. the very concept of using personality testing for hiring. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hmm. Well, uh, on that happy note, we've been talking a while. Uh, do you have any... Any closing thoughts before we uh, wrap up here? No, this was um, this was certainly an experience, and <laughs> I'm 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 glad that we did it. <laughs> so there we go. Wise thoughts. This was an experience. There we go. This was certainly a thing that happened. <laughs> <laughs> this was a thing that happened. Thank thank you all to uh to viewers for joining us on this thing that happened uh in the comments in the, in the discord were, were certainly very engaging uh we hope you'll join us for our uh for next show uh in in the meantime stay strong out there don't uh don't you know don't let these things get you down we're we're good people really <laughs> all right that's all thank you all and see you at next gig Oh, the times were hard and the wages low. Leave a Johnny, leave a... Ah.
I guess it's time for us to go. And it's time for us to leave her. Leave her, Johnny, leave her. I can't believe it's already over. Can you? To keep the excitement going, check out our website at thegig.online. Join our Discord community to chat with your hosts and your fellow giggers. Subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you never miss a gig. Above all, thank you for joining us, and see you next time for another great I.O. get-together.